Turn to Revelation 21, please. As I said, we're going to, Lord willing, finish this chapter tonight, no matter how long it takes. Well, <laughs> I, I got a feeling it's going to be shorter than usual, because we're almost done. So, but, you know, but no promises, no promises. So, Revelation 21, the inhabitants of the city. Sermon 44 in the Revelation series. And uh, it won't be much more than a couple more messages, maybe three more after this, that will finish the book. So we talked about uh, the city itself, the New Jerusalem. We saw it coming down out of heaven. We even talked about the dimensions of the city. Of course, that's meant to be taken spiritually. And uh, it's kind of interesting that it's 12,000. Um, now, when we put it in miles, it doesn't come out to 12,000. Put it in in uh, miles, it comes out uh, between 1365 and 1380, depending on how you measure it. But it's a cube, you know, that, that length, width, and height. And that really tells us that it's the Holy of Holies, the inner part where the ark was, which was uh, that, that dimension, it was a cube, you know. So that we saw, look, I'll just take you to verse 16 instead of talking about it. Go to verse 16 for a moment. If you would please, by way of remembrance, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear gas. Whoops, I didn't go back far enough, did I? My numbers are so small in this Bible here. Okay, verse 16. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And, and of course, uh, when we get to numbers in the book of Revelation, it's not always true that, that numbers are significant. We talked about the, if I remember correctly, 276 uh, fish that were caught um, and when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the, the uh, no, 276 souls that were saved uh, out of the ocean when Paul was shipwrecked. And we said, what's the significance of 276? We said, the significance is there was 276 of them that lived and, you know, and were all rescued. So sometimes numbers mean numbers. Sometimes numbers have significance. In the book of Revelation, numbers have significance almost all of the time. They almost always point to something. And they're usually multiples of 12, 144, 144,000. Thousand is something that intensifies uh, the beginning. Here it's 12,000, intensifies it, shows the, the massive size. And so numbers are significant. When you think of 12, think of 12 apostles. You think of 12, think of 12 tribes. When you add them together, think of 24. Uh, that's the church gathered, the entire church. And so we should see these numbers as meaning something to us. But uh, it can get lost in translation, like I say, um, when you read something like the, the New Living, uh, the new living uh, Translation, uh, they'll put it like 1,365 miles, and, and really you've kind of lost the significance of what was being said. Okay, so, you know, that's not, the, that's not a shot at that Bible. It's just that uh, we need to keep the numbers in line with what they actually should be. Now, we're going to finish here with uh, chapter, or verse 23. Verse 23. By the way, the New Living Bible, or yeah, the 
New Living Translation, I don't recommend it. Um, I, there's better. It's better to read. But I make it a practice just to use a different version of the Bible every year as I go through my devotional reading. Just to get a different flavor of things and to read it a little differently. And that's the one I chose this year. And I found profit in it. It was profitable. Um, I wouldn't choose the Living Bible. Uh, it's not even a Bible. <laughs> you know, just a, a paraphrase of a man that... Uh, just sat down to figure it out. But the New Living Translation was based on the Living Bible, but it also was uh, gone over with a team of scholars that knew Greek and Hebrew. And so it, it's a, a better translation. But if you want to know my favorites, um, uh, New King James, um, ESV, New American Standard, the good old King James, which you'll never get more majestic language than the good old King James, but the trouble is it's hard to understand. Yeah, just to be blunt, you know, some 400 years later, uh, it's a little difficult. The language changes. Okay, that was all freebie. Made my sermon longer, sorry. <laughs> okay, verse 22, I'll start there. Toward the, the beginning of the new paragraph. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So we see the focus is... Not the city as much as it's the Lord of the city and the Lamb who is the Lord of the city. And the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So that's where we start some new material there. We see God and His glory illuminates the new Jerusalem. Now we're talking figuratively, let's remember that, but that's the point we made last week. And we can go a little farther now because of the way John says the light functions, and it's symbolic. He says the Father, you know, the Father is the source, and the Lamb is the lamp. And uh, really what that means is something that's true throughout the Bible. The Father is the ultimate source from which everything flows. And then, of course, uh, we have further revelation. To quote Dennis Johnson, Dennis Johnson, Dr. Dennis Johnson, who wrote a commentary on Revelation, he writes, the Lamb is the agent who reveals the Father in his glory and its truth, which is the lamp. Its lamp is the Lamb. To further on that, that quotation, these have been perfectly complementary roles of Father and Son in Revelation throughout the conflict of redemptive history and they will continue to be so in eternity. And we won't turn there, but John chapter 1 tells us that very, very plainly as you read John chapter 1. The Father as the ultimate source of everything, the Son as the revealer of the Father, and the one through whom all things were made. And then we could add the Spirit in our new covenant day, which is always pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ, always. The Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He doesn't glorify himself. Instead, he's always pointing away to the Son, pointing away to the Son, pointing away to the Son, the S-O-N. Now, verse 24, we pick up from there. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, if we're going to be literalists, we've got ourselves a real problem. Okay, How in the world are the nations going to come to the city, you know, and, and kings are leading them to the city, 
And uh, I thought everybody was dead. I thought they were all in heaven or all in hell. What, what in the world? I, and that's got to be very, very confusing, you know. Uh, but here's why it's not confusing, okay. Um, it's taken from the Old Testament. And John doesn't mean that there are Gentile nations that are living outside the city. I've heard that theory proposed uh, that uh, the Jews would have the New Jerusalem and the Gentiles would be living on the outskirts of it and around. And that's not what it's talking about. That's not what it means. Uh, all the elect Gentiles are already in the city and all the non-elect Gentiles are already in the lake of fire. And um, turn to Isaiah 60. And that's about the nations, but you know, it's also true that all the elect Jews are already in the city and all the non-elect Jews are already in the lake of fire. Now this is taken from Isaiah 60. We looked at Isaiah 60 last week because um, when we, we went down the chapter, we got to verse 19 and it said, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor brightness for shall the moon give it light night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. We can see that John has taken this uh, and, and reworked it just a little bit to make it clearly New Testament where it's plainly revealed that the Messiah is God. Okay, so that's why we can say that the, the, um, we can say that uh, the, the light, the Father is the light and the Son is the lamp there. Now, as we get down to Isaiah 60, verse 1, be listening to the same kind of language that we have in verse 24. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising, Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of nations will come to you. Well, isn't that what it's saying in smaller scope here? By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. And, and I believe that's exactly what is being said here. So we're taking Old Testament language, which is very, very earthy in the way that it speaks, and then the more spiritualized uh, version that we see here in the book of Revelation. That's not to say the Old Testament isn't very, very spiritual. It is. But it does have a tendency to talk in, in more earthly language, and the Revelation has a tendency to talk in more spiritual language as it quotes the Old Testament and helps us to understand what the Old Testament is saying. Um, look at verse 11 of um, Isaiah 60 while you're still there. Your gates shall be open continually day and night. They shall not be shut that the people may bring you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. Okay, now you can turn back to Revelation 21 if you would. I'll read that again while you do that. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut, that the people may bring you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. What is the wealth of the nations? What is the glory and honor of the nations? 
Let's read it again, and I think we'll figure it out. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there'll be no night there. They'll bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. The glory and honor of the nations is actually the people themselves. What's more valuable than those that are made in the image of God? You know, it, the Bible talks about uh, the earth in such a way that some people have, even to this very day, some people have taken it a little too literally and misinterpreted it and believed that the earth is the center of the universe. They're not wrong. <laughs> They're not wrong. It is the center of the universe. It doesn't have to be the physical center of the universe. It's the center of the universe because this is where God's eye is, and this is where God sent his son. And then out of the entire universe and the literally billions and trillions of planets and stars and however many there are, only God knows, his eye is here. Which is an amazing thing, if you think about it. The earth is very unique, as best as we can tell. And uh, our scientists are always looking for planets that are like the earth. And the most powerful telescopes look for planets that are like the earth because they think if we can find a planet that's like the earth, we, we might find life. That's what they're looking for. I'm glad they're looking. I don't think they're going to be happy with what they find, <laughs> you know. But who knows what God has made? I'm not going to tell you what God has done and what God hasn't done. But I can tell you this, that his eye is here. And his son was sent here. And here's where souls are made that are in the image of God and will live with God forever and will rule over angels. Rule over angels. And that's pretty amazing because angels are a whole lot more powerful than you or I right now. Uh, one angel would have no problem. One angel would have no problem if God so ordained to, to wipe out the city of Ontario. So aren't you glad that God is or not ordained to wipe out the city? One angel could do that without a problem. You know, we can see how powerful they are, and we, we see that. Well, it's amazing, but we are made in the image of God. They're called sons of God, but we're made in the image of God, and we're told that we will judge angels. And so we have to believe that, because we're going to be remade in the new heavens and the new earth. So the wealth of nations that come into this city are the people themselves, the elect people, the people that have been called out from all over the world, and um, they'll probably, I'm sure there'll be more Gentiles uh, of blood in heaven than there will be Jewish people. There's very few Jewish people compared to all the people of all of the earth, uh, of all the races, uh, of all the languages, of every tribe, tongue, nation, and kindred. You know, they're all, we're all going to be assembled together in that place. And there'll be no prejudice. There'll be no hierarchies. There'll be nothing like that. There'll be pure equality. Believe it or not, there won't even be male or female as we know it to be. You know, that's going to be equality right across the board, uh, made in the image of God. So these are the things we're talking about. You know, couched in Old Testament language, John brings it up to date in New Covenant language, and here's the fulfillment of the faithful promise. So here, in, turn to Revelation 7 for a minute because I think this will help us to see that. Uh, the book of Revelation is continually going back to the Old Testament and continually going back to itself. In fact, um, as I look above, I didn't put this in my notes, but um, I look at Revelation 7, the way the ESV puts it, um, starting in verse 5, 
they outline each tribe separately. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. And so there's all those 12,000s, and you put them all together, it's 144,000. Okay, a symbolic language is showing the 12,000, just like we saw uh, with the city itself. Okay, but Revelation 9 is where I wanted to turn us to. Revelation 9, or 7, Revelation 7, verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Now, let's stop for a minute. That means a lot of people, right? What, what did God tell Abraham he would receive? An, un, an innumerable nation. People of faith. We were talking about Abraham's faith this morning. An innumerable nation. He compared it to the stars of the heavens. That doesn't mean there's going to be trillions and trillions. It doesn't necessarily mean that. That's, that's a way of speaking that shows just you can't count them. And then in another place he says, like the sand of the sea. Okay, again, uh, that's unfathomable. I remember an illustration that stuck with me from, from my Bible college days. Uh, they, the guy was trying to explain eternity and how long eternity would be. And he said, imagine there was a raven that was able to take one grain of sand in his mouth, fly it, and deposit it on the moon, and then come back and grab another grain of sand and fly it and deposit it on the moon. He said, uh, just imagine when finally the earth has no more sand, that eternity hasn't even begun. Well, that's a pretty cool way of putting it when you think about it. I don't know about a raven flying through outer space. Uh, I think I could be a skeptic about that, but it's an illustration. That's all he's trying to do. Okay, Abraham was told that he would have so many sons and such a posterity that you couldn't even count them. And here they are in Revelation 7, Jew and Gentile alike. After this, after enumerating the 12,000 from each tribe, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so that's, um, you know, to the glory of God, to the glory of God. All the elect of all of the ages. And uh, I'll just posit to you one more thing. This is my personal opinion. You can take it and leave it as you would like. But um, I want you to think of all of the millions of babies that have died in abortion in our country. I want you to think of um, the, the very sad cases of all of the miscarriages that there have been uh, around the world. Then I want you to think of all the babies that have been sacrificed to pagan entities throughout the time. If it's true, and I suspect it is, that one of the way God brings his elect to himself is for them to die in the womb or, or very shortly after. My theory, C.H. Spurgeon agrees with me, you know, then there's no wonder. Already, there's a massive amount that we couldn't even count. You know, I know many of you ladies have suffered through, through miscarriages and such like that. And it's the kind of a pain that uh, really, unless you tell somebody, nobody knows about it, really. They just don't realize and know, but um, billions and billions. I'll tell you that, billions and billions. If that's the case, 
uh, than not only those that have come to full adulthood. By the way, our, my confession agrees with this too, so our confession. Uh, chapter 10, verse 3, or chapter 3. Chapter, chapter 10, paragraph 3 agrees with this too. And so, uh, you know, there, there will be an innumerable host in heaven, um, Spurgeon believes, uh, much bigger than the lost. That Christ will have, have dominion over everything, including the number of souls that go into eternity on the Lord's side. Well, there you go. Certainly, we've never seen uh, those that come in, to faith at later dates be anything more than a remnant and a small remnant even at that. Okay, so what do we say about Revelation 21 here compared to Isaiah 60? We need to realize that Revelation 21 is given to us in the present tense, but it's still future. Okay, so even though the language is present tense, it's a vision, so it's future, and Isaiah's is given to us in the future, as though it were the present. So, you know, that's what happens in prophecy. We can't uh, worry too much about that. We just need to keep it straight in our mind. Uh, Isaiah's talking to the future. John's talking to the future as though it were the present. And verse 26 aligns with verse 24. Let me read them together without 25. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So that's why I say, in this new covenant age especially, what do we bring to the Lord? The Old Testament saints went to the tabernacle bringing their gifts. The Old Testament saints went to the temple bringing their gifts. But in this new covenant age, there is no temple, there is no tabernacle, and we bring the greatest thing we can bring, which is ourselves, and every Christian has done that. And Romans 12, 1 tells us that we bring ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. And that's the glory and honor that's brought. Okay, so verse 25, back into that verse now. The gates are never shut, which symbolically shows that right now, in this new covenant age, everyone may freely come and rest assured all the elect will come. But in the eternal state, these figurative gates will never be shut. And why? Well, you shut gates at night. There's no night there. Um, you shut gates, so why do you lock your doors? Wasn't that long ago that the people um, didn't lock the doors at night? It just didn't, you know. I bet you, I, I'm going to wager that uh, most of your grandparents never shut, locked their doors at night. They, they just didn't feel the need to do that. Now we don't lock our doors. We lock our doors. We bolt lock our doors. And we even put bars on our windows sometimes. And, and we're not foolish to do that. You know, it's just the way that things have turned out. But, you know, you don't lock your doors and you don't um, bar your windows you know, when evil is gone. And evil is gone. In the city, there is no evil. There's no need to shut the gates at night, because there is no night. No need to shut the gates by day, for there are no longer any enemies or any who oppose Christ and his people. And in fact, all of his people are gathered in the city. And, if you want to go one step further, not only are all his people gathered in the city, 
All of his people comprised the city. That's the spiritual language. So we're in the city, and we are the city. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, you know, so there are no enemies. Christ is king of kings, lord of lords. And we as people are openly acquitted of sin and openly acknowledged as his own. So all the saints are inside the city, or we could say comprise the city. The nations are not bringing literal riches, but they're bringing themselves as worshipers. And, um, you know, don't take it literally, because that would mean in the eternal state, Gentiles will still be coming. And um, I know that's popular for some to believe and, and worshiping the Jews along with worshiping um, the Lord Jesus and, and bowing before the Jews, because the Old Testament gives us that kind of, of language. Well, let's remember this. We're spiritual Jews, okay? So uh, that it's not based on race that way, okay? Verse 27, we conclude the chapter by saying, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. How could it? Everything that's unclean is gone. So nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, because they're all gone too in the lake of fire but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now that was an interesting way to put it. You know, those are the ones that are in the city. Those that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when was the Lamb's Book of Life written? Okay, before the foundation of the earth. That's when it was written. And that's Revelation 13, oh, turn there, we've got a moment. Revelation 13, eight, let's just remind ourselves. These are the ones inside the city these are the ones that comprise the city. And it's a great lesson in election and God's sovereignty. 13.8. Uh, and, all, and all who dwell on the earth will worship everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slain. Okay, The book of life of the Lamb that was slain. I got that so marked up, I can hardly even read it, <laughs> you know, in my, in my Bible, all these notes and things marked up. But it, it's put in opposite language, they that dwell on the earth. Whenever you see they that dwell on the earth in the book of Revelation, it means the lost. It means the non-elect, every single time. There's not an exception to that that I, that I can think of. But uh, so they that dwell on the earth will worship it, talking about the beast system. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Okay, so there's that. And then Revelation 17, 8 talks about this, this great book that was written uh, before the foundation of the world. You don't get your name written down in it when you make your Jesus decision. It's those that come to Christ are those that's names are in the book of life. We don't know who they are. We won't know who they are until the end. You know, but here we go. The beast in Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from, uh, from the... How do you say? I've marked up my Bible so badly. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I should have marked it out differently. Okay. Uh, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. We'll marvel to see the beast. Okay. So, again, it's given in a negative way about those whose names are not in the book of life. But we know that 
We are those that names are in the book of life if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because we've been told that when the books were opened, uh, the book of works was opened and the dead were judged out of that. The dead are the same as the dwellers on the earth. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And that's the name where all the elect of all time, that's where our names are. Okay. So with all that being said and done, verse number eight is um, of chapter 21 is the negative here. Verse number eight of chapter 21. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then the new Jerusalem comes down. Okay, so that's what we're talking about there. There is nothing on the outside of this city that we have to worry about, for all have been thrown into the lake of fire. And Philippians 4.3 says, Yes, I ask you, true companion, help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And we've had an entire message on the book of life in this series here. Okay. And it was before the foundation of the world that their names were there. They have eternal life. They're protected with all the protections we've seen. And um, we can actually go back to, to verse 1 of uh, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, the sea talks about the mass of humanity. It talks about trouble and toil and chaos. It talks about problems. Those are the things that are gone, gone forever. Verse 27 is also, just in conclusion, a warning. A warning to the churches that John is writing to and a warning to us. Because look at it again as a warning, you know. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't you think that um, in that day, just as in our present day, there were people sitting in one of those seven churches of Asia that were members of the church, they professed to know Christ, but they really didn't. They were false. They were detestable. They had never come to the Lamb. They had an outward profession, so everybody believed them, but they really didn't believe, and they really weren't Christ. It's a warning to come to Christ. Don't sit in the place where God's people meet without knowing the God they meet with, is what we need to say. So are you on the outside, strangers from grace, and subject to all the torments, including the eternal torments that come upon God's enemies, as recorded in Revelation? Or do you know him and are part of that city and will be part of that city in reality, not just spiritually, but in reality, whatever that reality shape takes, will be part of that city. And um, what a blessing to be part of that city. And when we go to chapter 22 next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the fact that there's no temple in this new city. And it won't be a city anymore. It'll become a garden. And that's because we're going to equate that with the Garden of Eden. 
when we get to chapter 22, will equate that spiritual temple. Because remember what a temple is. A temple is the place where God's presence is especially revealed and a place where we meet with God. So God's everywhere, that's true, but a temple is the place where he's especially known. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Short passage tonight, but a powerful passage, full of insight. And next week, Father, as we conclude, we're beginning to conclude the book, and the warnings that are given and the promises that are given, and we see Eden restored better than ever before. And uh, the original intent and design uh, actually now come to pass and become the habitable place for us to live for all eternity and to meet with our God. Lord, help us as we open those spiritual truths up. And may Jesus Christ receive for himself all the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.